Welcome to the Jack Low Audio Experience and today joining me is Anita Markers and how are you doing? Yeah. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for asking, Jack. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great as well. So, Good. uh walk us through like what is in your world right now? Who are you and what are you about? Yeah. Well, um let me ask you before I before I answer that, let me ask you what prompted you to ask me to be a guest on the podcast tonight? I'm curious. Oh, so first of all, I I usually how I find my guests is that I will run through uh Gary V. I love Gary V a lot and I will I do through, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I kind of like uh find uh want to find like-minded people uh like mm-hmm. yourself who who does mm-hmm. comments on his comment section and I just find a uh, meaningful uh conversation that people are uh, set up onto uh Gary V's post. And yeah, that's okay. how I found you, you know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm. Well, um so the the reason um that you asked me on was uh because of a comment. I remember which comment you're talking about where I commented to Gary mm. about what his post that day meant to me and I was really graphic. Um you know, for me there's a lot of context I think for all of us um in life. Everybody's got different stories and different stages and all this wonderful texture of tragedy and triumph in their lives and for myself I really my backstory I think my whole life has been predicated on just this inherent instinct that being challenged I was chosen for something and when I was experiencing tragedy that it was meant to propel me forward in some fashion I never really quite figured out what I don't think that everybody just comes up with some magical answer and you you get traumatized in life and then you just know oh wow this trauma is going to turn into something great and here's what I'm going to become because of it it's not like that but I think that that answer to a tragedy is constantly unfolding in our daily lives with the way that we expand our character through that experience. And so that's really my back story in a nutshell. I I don't I don't segment it to just the episodes of trauma that I experienced, although there are, there are many traumas that people have asked me to isolate in my my storytelling that they would like to hear about, maybe for different groups, you know, I speak to women's groups, I speak to youth um that's youth awesome. uh groups. So, yeah, I mean and then to to multi-gender it's not like i just speak to women or females um mm. i i just think that challenge is something that we all have in common as human beings and i don't think that it's segmented to one um one person or another i think we we all have that, that commonality so i'm i'm always sharing my thoughts on that particular matter and um it's funny you mentioned Gary V because mm. i literally woke up to a dream mm. today from that he was in my dream and wow. as I'm working on this book yeah as I'm working on my book I recently left my job I was with Equinox for almost 2 years as one of their top producers I was top in the region when I left from the company and um you know I left the the job and at the same time I'm I'm scared but then I'm exhilarated and that's when you know the fear is the right direction because you're going to be a little scared you have to be uncomfortable and in my dream Gary V was like Nita listen you're not at Equinox anymore your kids are grown up now you have the fucking freedom 
to work on these books. You have this talent. You have the book set up. You have a literary agent. Get your ass focused just on these books. You need to give this shit everything you've got. That's literally what I woke up to this morning. Like I, it was like he was like God in my dream or something, and he was yelling wow. at me. <laughs> and, and then, and then it was funny because after I woke up and I did my morning meditation and everything, it was so weird. I turned on、um, one of his videos on Instagram while I was having my breakfast. And he's talking about how adversity is key for happiness, and I'm like, "Holy shit! The universe is seriously talking to me right now." So,、um, my my book, The Challenger, The Chosen, is really one of a three part series book of books of poetry, and all my poems have something of sort of a phoenix rising theme through it that are in this first book. The second book and the third book, we could talk about another time. But、mm, the、sure. real common theme through everything that I that I live in my life and everything that I do、mm. is that when there is challenge, it's 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 a sense of direction. It's a guidepost. It's growing you. It's a seed. It's something that's it's encouraging your expansion. So I am living that literally right now as I'm、um, jobless. <laughs> and、um, about to go into Christmas, and I have three children that are basically all grownups.、Um, one that's a graduate from University of California at Irvine, UCI,、mm-hmm. and then、um, the other one's about to graduate with her bachelor's in business next year, and she's working on her album. She's a musician, and then my son is seventeen. He's got a year left of school, and then he plans on leaving me. He can't wait to leave. He's very independent.、Um, And so I, I'm basically like an empty nester now. So I really need to put my focus and my heart and soul into just me. And and this is where the universe has brought me. Everything up to this moment in my life has brought me、um, to this book. And so that's that's me. I mean, that's that's who I am. That's what I am right now. Nita Marquez, author and and poet and. Optimist <laughs> and、um, realist. I'm also a realist, so you know I think it's very possible to be an optimist and a realist all at once.、Mm, that's awesome. I like that you are、uh, going to this place of like what actually eventually、uh, make you become the person that you are right now. And that's where I want to touch upon.、Um, and I like to talk about adversity. You know, so. Uh, yes. From me, it's like、uh, for me, it's like I like to share about mine. Is that、um, before? Because my father passed away when I was twelve, and before that, before、wow. that, it was、uh, everyone. The whole environment is like treating me like、uh, like a little brother. You know, they took care of me. It almost feels like a delusional,、uh, delusional framework. You know, like people taking、right. me that kind of stuff, and then. Once my father passed away when I was twelve, it it almost feels like the pillar of my、uh, framework it just fell off. Everything just crumbles. So as I、uh, proceed on to high school,、um, real stuff happens. You know, real situations、yeah. like oh, teachers saying ah,、uh, yeah, people call me Jackson. Yeah, so Jackson, oh, you 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 messed up. You messed up this. You messed up that. And I was like. You know, I just collapsed. You know, like j- everything just falls apart. I I fell into a very depressed mood and that kind of a stuff. And I believe this adversity and all this kind of a stuff, it's uh, it's a learning point. It's like uh, 
What, yes. The things that makes us, you talk about those tragedy and all the stuff that leads you to become a person that you are right now, yeah? Yes. So I like to yes. walk through your, your life as well, like all the way from the start to the person that you are right now because I feel that, I can feel your vibes, you know, that you are so wise. It's, it almost feels like you experience a lot of stuff. So I like to oh. jump into your experiences, you know, all the okay, way from the well. start since uh, as a child, yeah. Okay, well, um, I was born to a teen mom. My mother was 16, and her mother was killed in a car accident when she was pregnant with me. Um, my grandfather was an alcoholic and a racist, and I was going to be born half Mexican, so he wanted no parts of me. Um, so with her basically not having a soul in the world to help her, she was this teenage girl in the 70s with no assistance. I mean, she had no help. She didn't know what she was going to do. So by the time she was 17 and 18 years old, she was looking into, um, I guess what you could consider alternative, alternative work styles. So, um, you know, she, she dabbled in, um, escorting and massage parlors, which is basically prostitution. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up around some of these women that were so sweet to me. Her friends were so sweet to me. And, Mm. um, and, and, you know, she had, um, a family member that, that was in that industry. And so I grew up around this lifestyle of what women were meant to be. They were meant to groom themselves for a man and be, um, you know, uh, tantalizing for a man. And, um, you know, you weren't, you weren't taught in that generation, first of all, to groom yourselves for your own dreams. If you were a woman, that's just not how they, they treated women back then. They Mm -hmm. groomed you to decide that you were going to be a certain way that a man likes a woman to be, and you were going to be a befitting wife and you were going to get married and a man was going to support you. Well, in their case, they took it a step further and it was kind of like, um, no, get yourself a sugar daddy or be sexy enough and the, uh, the right rich guy will come along. And that was what I was groomed around as a young girl. And um, my mother ended up marrying somebody who was very sick sexually and um, he was a pedophile. And growing up with that for the next six years, the next six years I ended up, um, you know, obviously undergoing a, an enormous amount of abuse at, at the hands of this man um, in addition to other men that were put in my life by my mother and um, just went through a lot of abuse and, mm. and I always through all of that just really wanted to protect my mom um, I, I can remember being a little little girl and just mm. wanting to beat somebody up because they were hurting my mommy And that was where I think my codependency was born was at that age, uh, at such a young age to, to love my mother as much as I did. All I wanted to do was protect her. And if you look at the role reversal, clearly somebody should have been looking out for me. And, and, um, I don't know why I never really questioned that I wasn't being looked after properly uh, all I wanted to do was fight for my mom and I think that you go through that as a child and you become uh, or you be militant and you defend your um, it, whatever way you take it becomes a sickness just like a drug addiction 
And um, my codependency was my, that was my demon for a good, a good amount of my life. Mm. And I would say on through selecting the husband that I selected and the relationships that I selected, I was extremely codependent and I chose extremely toxic situations and sometimes abusive situations. But after my husband and I split up, I have my three children from my marriage we moved here to California. So I'm skipping over a lot of years, but I'm just, I'm basically tying everything together to say that in each stage of my life, the ghosts that followed me were that codependency. My mother became addicted to drugs. Um, she went at it when I was 13 years old. And um, at that point I was on my own. Um, by the time I was 14, I became a state ward. Um, I went off to Michigan for a while. Um, the state picked me up. I was put into a delinquency and orphanage home um, in the state of Michigan and um, went to some family members for a while after foster care and then was on my own again after that. And I just, it was kind of like, I was viewed as a lot of kids in my situation, we are considered throwaways. Don't waste your time on that one. Don't waste your time on ever make it. They're not going to amount to anything. And that was something that I could see and hear in the dialogue of people that were supposed to be mentoring me, teachers, um, administrators. There were a number of people who indicated with their, with their language about me and to me that I wasn't worth the energy. And so I went through my life again, really with this low self-esteem thinking, well, I should be doing something good. I think that I'm smart. I think that I'm bright. I think that I might be talented, but I didn't quite have a, a firm grasp on that with any confidence. So I just let what was dominant in me take over and that was being codependent. So I found all these broken people to fix. And as it turns out, when you're a codependent, you're actually the one that's broken. Mm. You're just finding more people like yourself. Mm. And like I said, it's like any addiction. And until I came to terms with that and realized that it had turned me also into a rageaholic, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't use any drugs. Mm. I used my addictions to people and sick relationships helped me fuck my life up to validate what everybody said which was that I wasn't worth anything so I was constantly battling myself there were parts of me that were an avid um that were avidly working towards something great like I become the national fitness champion um I became I accelerated to the top of uh the industry and in fitness I, I did really well. I graduated from high school. Even though I dropped out, I still graduated with um, academic honors and got a full academic scholarship to University of Arizona. Mm -hmm. I went there for three and a half years, and then I dropped out there. And it's just like, you know, it was like I, I would take a huge leap forward with all these baby steps of hard work that I would put in. And then I would kick myself back with some stupid choice that I would make or some bad relationship I was in. And it was just, that was the battle. That was the cycle that I lived in for years. And when, when you're in magazines and you're being searched on the internet and people are giving you accolades for your accomplishments, you don't question 
yourself. And so as a, as a consequence, I wasn't really examining my idiosyncrasies. I was just looking at how great I was doing um, until when I was here in Los Angeles by myself with my kids and had hit uh, just basically a, a rock bottom in my life and realized I really needed help for, for anger management and codependency. Like I needed actual treatment and I knew that I had a problem and I sat my kids down mm. and and we talked about what I was going through and how I know that I have a problem. My kids were always very safe in my hands, mm. but they saw me lose my shit on everybody else a lot because mm. I did definitely have temperament issues. Not with the, not with my kids, but mm. with people around me that my kids would see me losing my temperament with. And what, what a lot of parents don't realize is that you may be good to your children. And this is something I didn't realize until I went into treatment. I was very good at protecting my children. I was very good at encouraging them. Uh, I did the very best that I could to lead and and mother them and protect them. But I didn't realize that it's really traumatizing to a child when they see you lose your cool. Like when you come apart at the seams as a parent, you don't understand that when your child sees you like that, you're having an impact on them. You're traumatizing them because they're used to you being the stoic protector standing on guard. Mm. When you come apart at the seams, you don't have the ability to stand guard. Mm. You're, you are as fragile as whatever it is that you're trying to break. You are a mess. And kids see that. It doesn't resonate for them as you are their strong, loving, protective parent, it resonates for them as, oh my God, what's, why is this scary person being like this? This is my parent. They're loving, they're protective, they're kind. And, and this is, they're, they're scary right now. It's frightening to them. Mm-hmm. And, and that was what caused me to go get help. And, um, seven years ago, I went in for anger management treatment and, um, and codependency support. And I've been on this whole new journey since then. Um, I feel like I, I had an awakening. I came off my soapbox. I, did, I didn't realize that I actually had problems like the drug addict that was my mother or like the um, the womanizing man that was my father who abandoned my mother when she was pregnant. Like I didn't realize that I was just as messed up as they were mm. um, until I... Until I I looked my own demons in the face and I realized they don't look that different than a drug or a sex addiction. Mm. They're just, they're just, they're just a different shade, but they're, they're still ugly demons and they're still causing problems for my life. They're causing problems for the people that I love and have promised to protect and they're causing problems in my progress. Mm. And that's, that's my whole if you want the, the long and short of it, um, that is what bred my demons that I looked in the face and in order to become today. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. So thank you for giving us uh, such a deep uh, context of what your life is about. And... Um, uh, just yeah. to clarify, there's like some kind of like a connection, right? Um, I'll say there's like some yeah. connection issues that uh, 
uh, as I we were we were talking, uh, there is like uh, the noise is, I mean, it, there's a big cancellation here and there. But um, do do tell me when there is like a cancellation from my voice and you can't. Oh my no, you're very All clear. Right. All right, you're that's clear awesome. on that side. That's awesome. Yeah. And I like to um, jump into this section where I get like highly interruptive, if you don't mind, yeah. Like I will sure. just, uh, yeah. I like to jump into uh, the part where you kind of like realize that, oh, you are actually um, get into this like anger management problem, that kind of a stuff. Like, talk to me about the the situation. Then, like, when was the moment that you kind of like realize that? Yeah. Somebody had a conversation with me about my children and said, you've raised beautiful children. They're good kids. Mm. But when you get angry, you scare the shit out of your kids and they don't deserve that. Mm. And that conversation was, was, um, that was my wake up call. That conversation, the words that this person spoke to me Mm. made me shudder inside and made me weep. And I realized in that moment, oh my God, I need help. Mm. I can't do this alone. Mm. I, I knew that I had a problem. I knew that I had a problem in that moment. And that was what caused me to go get help. Mm, I see, I see. So uh, how are you handling it uh, so far from from since then until now? Yeah, walk me through the process, um, yeah. Like, like all addictions, um, I've definitely been prone to relapsing and I've had you know, with rage, it's kind of like food or alcohol. It's just something that's part of life. Um, but it's how you temper it and your awareness of your use of it that makes it problematic. And um, for me, uh, with anger, I've, I've definitely had moments where I've slipped back into that rage. And once you see red, when you're a rageaholic, when you see red, it's like it's over. It's like you're like a crackhead back on the pipe. Um, you've already, you've already relapsed because once you see red, once you get to that state of mind, um, there's a chemical activity taking place in your brain. That's in effect what a high is like. And it's, it's where your brain is psyched into believing that there's a security and, um, your amygdala kicks up. You have, um, all kinds of different chemicals in your brain that are, that are firing off and old neural nets were still enacting um, until they had been completely diffused through, um, you know, so much practice of other thought patterns that, that I, you know, eventually those, those neural nets laid dormant long enough that, that I don't have stimulation of them for them to even enact anymore. But um, yeah, I definitely was prone to relapse. Um, Most of the time, my relapse has been related to my children. My oldest daughter is 20. She's going to be 23 in January. And she's definitely had her issues with me. And that has um, turned into conversations that got out of control. And um, as much as you love your kids, when they reach a certain age, you know, they don't always see it as love. They, they don't realize that your mistakes were mistakes. They, they, you know, kids are kids. They don't know any better. So sometimes they, they view it as, um, as a fault, you know, that you had, um, and that they were the, they were the ones that paid for your fault. And so, so, you know, I definitely go through those, you know, just like any parent does. Hmm. 
time um, as in single with no support from their father whatsoever um, they talk on the phone with him and it's like you know peaches and cream but then if I'm if I'm doing something wrong I'm like crucified and it's just you know that's the norm when kids don't have one parent around they tend to be nice to them because mm. you don't know when that parent's going to be around again so it's like you just want to savor what you have Whereas the one that's there all the time, you know, they're going to be there all the time. So you just kind of do whatever you feel like. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so I've, I've had those moments. I think that my relapses of rage have been related to those things because that's where I think I'm the most sensitive. Um, when it comes to my mom or my dad, um, I have great relationships now with both my parents. My mother's queen and my father's been in my children's lives since they were all born. So, I mean, I have a really close and loving, respecting relationship with both my parents now, um, despite the fact that neither one of them was really there for me. Um, from 13 on, my mother wasn't there for me. And uh, prior to that, my father was never there for me. So I, I think that it's magical when you start to see your parents as human. And like I said about my own kids, start to recognize like, hey, it's not a fault thing that I, I lived in expense of their faults. It's like, wow, they're human. And these were all byproducts, byproducts. These circumstances were all byproducts of their humanistic abilities. And they're apt in those cases that I have this great relationship with them. And I see the humanity in them and, and I value and respect it because those were just stages that they were in, in their lives. And it had nothing to do with me and it's nothing personal and it's nothing like they hate me or they don't love me enough. And even if they didn't, it's still nothing personal because what we're all going through in this world, it's our own shit, man. And at the end of the day, like Gary Vee says, the world's not going to give a fuck what you went through. Get your shit together. Yeah. Get your shit together. Like get it together and and pull forward and and not with vengeance but with a sense of grounding like you know have some fucking conviction and value for the fact that you have breath in your body despite all that shit there's a reason for that a hundred percent so that's that's kind of that <laughs> mm. my as far as my relapses i see i see so uh, you talk about like you uh, like wanting to like do your own thing uh, uh, although you're being a parent you're a parent yeah and you yeah. want to do your own thing and you kind of talk about like um, you heard what Gary V says and uh, I also hear what Gary V says he always says you're young as fuck you're young as fuck and when was the actual moment that you kind of realized that you, you kind of want to do your own thing already you know although you're a parent like you still kind of want to do your stuff, doing your books, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that more with the books, it, it started hitting me that um, I, I have not been in a really deep romantic relationship, and 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 um, I haven't lent myself to any codependent situations in years, and I think that when you get that kind of shit out. Of- um, it changes your trajectory because your focus changes. And so I think because I think because those things have been in my way that 
codependency and the raging psych I finally see more clearly I think I would have gotten around to this sooner even when my kids should got more open and receptive to the idea that I am not perfect and gotten off my soapbox there's something to be said for having a sense of humility and stopping being so fucking self-righteous and when you stop doing that, and you start realizing the humanistic qualities in yourself and that you, you too have failures under your belt and stop acting like everything's so peachy keen you can get over the shit that you've created for yourself and then you can see the path in front of you a lot more clearly what a magical feeling that is and i think that's what lent to my focus on the books is Um, I just got all the other shit out of the way. I mean, I, I, like I said, I probably would have focused on it sooner, even though the kids were smaller then, um, if, if I just would have gotten all my, all my other bullshit out of the way. Mm, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you. I, I like to jump into, um, uh, are you okay with, uh, extending a bit like five to 10 minutes? Because I know that we are hitting 30 minutes mark soon. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so I like to jump into the topic of self-esteem, you know, like I can see so much of like, it almost uh, feels like I can vibe out that you're, you have like lots of self-esteem, you had so much uh, depth in the words that you actually uh, say out, you know, so do you have any experience, uh, can you recall when is the moment like you kind of like, you do you have like down moments that you like feel that you are not confident in yourself, that kind of a stuff? Can can walk us through that experience and how you actually start to build your self-esteem from there. Yeah. Absolutely. I I've had windows of that off and on in the in the past few years since I went through anger management, but I think um I think you have to go through that. It's you know, it's the cycle of life. You you have moments where you're just like boom 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 boom. I'm in the zone. I'm in the zone. I'm going 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 going. Mm. And you're you're breathing and panting and And just your pace is like maximized and, and your results are maximized. But you have to have those um, sort of refractory periods where you you lay back. Um, and sometimes we digress a little, but that's where we breathe a little bit deeper. Mm. And, um, and we collect ourselves and we evaluate a little bit more. But then like the bow needs to always throw forward when we are at rest we are like that boat and then when we when we shoot and catapult forward again I mean we can catapult it just all depends on the awareness you allow yourself to delve into yourself with when you're having those those down moments I think that that's really what it comes down to I mean like I'm I'm literally like right now like I was I was a valuable asset in my corporate setting and now I don't have that and whether or not anybody wants to admit it there is an ego stroke to that and we all need some stimulation to our ego on a daily basis to 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 thrive um and when you don't have that and you have it to contrast against what you value aside from that I think that's where you get a lot of value for yourself in terms of perspective and so right now like um that's been a really weird thing for me to let go of it's kind of like letting go of a marriage 
you know the marriage is not right for you, but it, it just fucking sucks feeling like, ugh. I mean, when you go through a divorce, you feel like a failure. Like, like you couldn't make something work. But sometimes things just, they run their course, man. And you just have to sit and, and, and identify with what's next. What other assets energetically and intellectually and spiritually do you have to draw from now that that ego stroke is gone? That part of your ego that was being, um, that property has disintegrated. And that's where I was, you know, when I first left corporate America, Mm. it was kind of a downer, but I got to be honest, I'm pretty resilient. So I feel like it Mm. maybe took me like two or three days and I was like, oh, okay, well, moving on. (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm, I think I've lost so many things um, in my life. I, I, I like to say I've been a loser enough times that I've, I figured out that there's no such thing as losing because I always end up winning. I always end up winning. Every time I've had losses, I've expanded more mm. at the end, at, at the other side of it. So, um, you know, yeah, you have down moments, but you have to remember, you don't have to, but it, it helps to evaluate and, and remind yourself if you can that, yeah, I'm a loser in this, which mm. means that I'm, I'm winning somewhere else. So my job in this loss is to figure out where the win is at. Mm. So yeah, I definitely have down moments, oh, but no. that's how I handle them. Mm. I like that you talk about uh, staying on course and then uh, like you staying resilient. Like how do you actually like keep yourself back into perspective? Because usually people will just go into a place whereby they say like, ah, I, I don't think I can, do, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. That kind of a stuff. So how do you actually keep yourself into perspective saying that, yes, I can do it, you know? Yeah. Uh, again, I, I, I just delve into, um, I let myself be present to the loss or whatever breakage is in existence at that time. Mm. Um, I let the breakage be what it is and I turn it into a breakthrough. I just, I, I continually am collecting the energetic properties and assets in the lessons of every breakage to turn it into a breakthrough mm, i see so you kind of like uh look into the problem itself right you you dive deep into it and you try to learn from it yeah uh constantly constantly that's to me that's why it's happening there's something for me to learn mm. can you walk me through the thought process that how is it like Whenever you face a problem right now, like say, oh, you face a, um, a huge issue right now. How do you uh, walk me through your thought process? How you actually deal with it? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll uh, walk you through the process of when I went through my divorce. All right. I was with my husband when we had nothing. We were dirt poor living in roach and mice infested housing on welfare i was taking the bus we had no car i was building my career taking the bus to the gym and the track every day and here i was in magazines all over the world and i'm being downloaded all over the internet nobody knew i was pissed poor while i was building that career while i was in those magazines and um and um hold on one second yeah sure uh, there we go. Um, I think that 
I think that the hardest part for me in in my divorce was, like I said, accepting that I failed. I had a loss. I was not going to win because there was no winning. The marriage was over. It just, it wasn't working. It wasn't going to work. He didn't want it to work. I wanted him to be a better person. And there was just so much dysfunction and toxicity. It was just impossible. And having to accept that I failed at the one thing I felt like I was so dynamic at at that point in my life, along with my my fitness career and being a mother. I mean, it was my picture perfect scenario. Like how, how dare I not be good enough for this picture perfect scenario? I was the one that created it. How could I not be good enough for this? How could I fuck this up? How did I fail? Why was I such a loser? That was the hardest part. Mm. And I cried a lot over the idea that I, but I'll tell you what, on the other side of it, I mean, it took me a good two years or so. I really went through um, just enormous self-examination. I read constantly. Mm. I went to counseling. I did everything I could to overcome and and try to figure out how do I get stronger after this. And it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. My losses have turned into my greatest assets. Mm. If I was still with that man, my life and my children's lives would be a wreck. So that's uh, that's that's the thought ah, process. I see. Accepting it, <laughs> accepting it. Accepting the moment. Um, yeah. Hmm. Accepting it. Um, crying as much as I needed to 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 feel it, hmm. and then starting to peel the layers back. Ah, I see. Just walking through, uh, uh, looking at the moment, and then you try to figure things out. Yeah, like seeking uh, like the books. And then uh, getting the knowledge to work from there, yeah. Yeah, I, I do a lot of studying to understand what my brain's experiencing, and so um, every time I've gone through a relationship breakup, my my marriage breaking up, um, mm. any any kind of a you know when I changed careers and and retired from fitness, that was a hard loss. Even though I I left winning, it was just like you know I you just. When you strive for greatness, you're always wanting more. So when you walk away from something, it's so hard to not say that you quit. Mm. It's it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Mm. Um, and and so for me, I'm I'm constantly on on a hunt to figure out what is my brain experiencing right now. What are the cycles of thought? That that um, I'm experiencing in this stage, this stage, this stage, because there's basically four stages to to recovering after a loss for me. And and of course, you know the basic stages of loss you can find on the internet anywhere. It's a psychology thing, but grieving is first. Hmm. Um, and and in the grieving, there's there's a series of emotions, and then. Beyond that, for me, the next stage is um, seeking out things that study that that I can study that can help me understand where I'm at. And 
and how to transcend it. Um, discovering new tools is the third stage. Discovering new tools for overcoming it. And then the fourth stage for me is discovering what I'm capable of becoming as a result of it. Mm. That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, I'm now like uh, super duper curious about all the stuff that uh that there's a lot more things that i like to dive into but we are running uh we are actually overshot already right like 30 plus minutes so yeah before i end off the podcast i like i usually like to ask my guests about uh, one last hot day that they like to talk about that is in their mind so any one last thing that you'd like to share that is in your mind yeah that you really want to share you know i just think that everybody in the world is born with some purpose that I can't define. It's up to each one of us to define what that is. And I also think that when you define it, you don't necessarily have to have a, a sentence or a mission statement to define it with. It just is what it is. And you just know it inside of your heart and your soul. You just know it. And then you live it. And I don't think it's something you have to explain to anybody. In fact, I think it's almost blasphemous to explain it to people. Oh, I'm living my purpose and this is what my purpose is. Like, I, I, that's just stupid to me. Like, people that say you have to, hey, what's your mission statement? Like, I get it, but like, I just think, you know what? Like, if you have to put it into words for other people, then it loses its, it loses its, um, its shine. Let it, let it be what you live don't talk about it just just live let it live through you mm, that's awesome that's awesome so um any last shout outs to your like own channel or anything uh where can we find you on the social medias yeah so uh you can find me at um facebook.com forward slash fit nita or you can just search nita marquez i'm nita marquez um you can also find me as fit nita on instagram and fit nita on tiktok i'm now on tiktok um so yeah i'm i'm just yeah fit nita you can always google fit nita or nita marquez and i'm i'm there and i generally respond to dms and and any questions people have i respond to as many comments as i can and on my on my posts and i really just i mainly connect with people that are looking for connection versus people that are just like I mean I'm a woman and so like be, being a former fitness model you get like the stupid comments I don't usually respond to them um, but if I'm if I'm getting DMs from people that have serious um, content to share in their messages I, I always respond when I when I see them all right that's awesome thank you for joining us for this podcast yeah really grateful to have you here Thank you. Thanks, Jack. All right. Well, you yeah. have a great night. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. I'll see you guys next okay. time. Okay. Bye. Yeah.